So you want to kick it off? Kick it off however we want to kick it off. How should we kick it off? So normally, Dustin, to give you like an idea, we try to always come up with some sort of like zany way to start the podcast, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure exactly how we should today. Um, Do you have any thoughts on it? Y'all have a theme song? We don't have a theme we song. We actually do Very not have a theme song. Not. We actually we recorded a really, really, really bad like. It was not. It was not even. You couldn't even pretend that it was a theme. It was yeah, like, it was such a joke. <laughs> yeah. I made like this song inside of like you know how um the there's like that iPhone app music memos where it can add like an automatic like bassline and drum beat to oh, like great. anything. It was really, really, really bad, but it was interesting. And, we we um, didn't yeah. even use it as a theme song. We just did we it, in, it in the middle of the episode. We played it once, though. I feel like it's kind of an ongoing thing. Like we joke about having like an active Patreon, and we joke about having a theme song, and we just never settle just on very, it. Very basic things about having a podcast. We joke about having them, but we don't. We don't have them at all. You we know. just skip them entirely. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's good there, to do though. You gotta there, leave. There's something to be said about the generic. You know. I'm, yes. I'm yeah. Totally into that. No frills. You got to leave people wanting a little bit, you know? You have to. Um, you know, better to burn out than fade away. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's what Neil Young said. Yeah, yeah. He also said, uh, hey, hey, my, my. He did say, hey, hey, my, my. He invented that phrase. He did come up with that. What else did he come with? He came uh, up with the concept of an old man. Yeah, he invented Neil Young invented old men. Which yeah, is so which is crazy to me. They didn't exist before whichever year. Before uh, Neil Young released that song, I actually heard that people would just die at like thirty-five, forty. 40, yeah, 40 yeah. yeah, they were just like, "All right, that's it." It was just it was and over. Neil Young Neil was Young, like, "Actually, what if men were old?" And he came with old man, and then now people the life expectancy just shot up. Yeah, what people don't think about is when he ripped off old man. It was a rip off of like a Tolkien character. So it's not even oh. fucking original. Was it really a Tolkien right. character? Yeah, Gandalf, dude. Gandalf, that's true. Oh. That's true. That's very true. So we're going... Gandalf was the original old man and they were... Yeah, we're good. He was the original old man and everyone was like, Tolkien, you're crazy for this character. He's he's too old. He's, over, he's, old, too old. he's older than 40. That Everyone knows that it's the oldest age you can possibly be. And then Neil Young was like, actually? Well, I mean, you know... Back in the day, life expectancy much shorter. That's that was true. actually, I think that was the big thing about Tolkien, though, is it's like he com- he kind of came up with the concept of the old man. <laughs> yeah, I think there's so. the old man in uh, the Old Testament. I think. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah, there is an old, yeah, old Testament. They, are, they do get a couple uh, 900 years old but in the Old Testament. Didn't Lord of the Rings come out? Before the Old Testament, <laughs> you know what, dude? I think you're right. I think it's the oldest book. I think you're right. Scholars are trying to figure that out. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the the Old Testament borrowed some tropes, you know. So, yeah, and uh, Hemingway, I think uh, the ripped old, off the old man uh, in the sea, ripped off old Tolkien. Man in the sea. <laughs> yeah, the old man in the sea. He was yeah. like, "What if Gandalf was on a boat, dude?" And then uh, Moby Dick ripped that off. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, so today, thanks for joining us. We have a, a very special guest on the pod today. Um, musician Dustin Wong is joining us uh, via phone from LA. Hello, Dustin. Hey. hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, like I was saying before we started recording, huge fan from way back. Like I remember... I was on like this small torrent community, like private invite only called Indie Torrents. And like, I remember finding like... legal, dude. What the hell? Yeah, man. Well, (laughs) you know, uh, it was post Metallica, Napster, but pre-Spotify. Yeah, right. So it's like, how am I going to find shit? dead zone where you have to scrounge for yourself. Well, it's possible it came from a media fire or something. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I found Ecstatic Sunshine and I found Ponytail and that shit ripped like dude i mean thanks so much the ice cream spiritual record especially that was like my jam i think i had um is it late to school or back to school that track uh yeah late 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 to late to school dude that was my fucking jam
shredding. The, the ending of the end was uh, the, the guy that yells, Oh, I'm late for school. Yeah. That, that, that was the other guitarist, Ken. Dude, I mean, just like, I couldn't tell you the amount of like mixed <laughs> CDs I had that on. <laughs> that oh, and man. like various ecstatic sunshine songs. I think like the two that I had like on like multiple things was like pocket knife and little dipper big dipper like those tracks were awesome i would i didn't even think about the song names until now until you mentioned it it was a while ago you know what i mean what is that 2006 or something a little i think it might be 2004 or something when we when we wrote it yeah no i mean how, how old were you when you did that i saw like y'all met in school like 22 22 that's awesome man and um, i mean I, I, I was a senior and they were a freshman gotcha you know? yeah, that's and you, you, do you know the story it's like the, i don't the, te- the teacher we, we were all in a class and the the professor put us all in a circle all the students and then he handpicked everybody to be in a band <laughs> that's that's For awesome real? And yeah, he was like, you, 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 band, you, 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 band. And, and at the very end, he was like, all right, Dustin, you're a senior. Take care of the freshman kids. And, uh, <laughs> so, so it was formed against your will is what you're saying. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, the thing, but the, you know, the challenge was to make it work and to make something interesting. And Right. Well, I mean, that'll and, happen if you're with people that are serious about music and have the same, like, goals as you of like creating something right, good, right. you know. And there's there's a kind of uniformity with youth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um there's something to be said about people in their early twenties. They understand there there's a conviction for aesthetics mm. and um uh what is good and what is bad. It's like black and white when you're in your twenties. It's oh, like absolutely you know you know what's bad, you know what's good. And then that starts to get confused when you get into your thirties. And, um, but that's a great thing because that's the sign that you're saying that that's the sign of things of an individual starting to accept things around them. Sure. Yeah. And I, um, I was often criticized in my teens and twenties for liking too much. Like everyone was like, you like everything. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, that's the other, but that's a great thing. That's a great thing. I agree. I mean, yeah, they'd be like, pick some things that you don't like, dude. And you're like, no, they'd be like, who's your favorite artist? I'd be like, what genre, you know, like it's like too much to whittle down. Cause there's good music Mm -hmm. in every genre. You just have to find it. Well, I feel like that, that question is less of what your taste is and more of like how you want to present yourself at that age. Like I feel like we had MySpace songs. Though. Well, yeah, <laughs> literally that. Like, okay, what songs am I going to present to the world as being my personality? Right. And how people see you influences how you make that decision. Sure. So it's not even what you actually really even like necessarily. It's what you want to present yourself as doing. But if you don't have that, uh, if you don't really care about that then people get confused because they're like, wait, like you don't have a favorite artist or a favorite song. It also depends like who was huge. Like when you were in your twenties, like I would say my early twenties and late teens were like, like indie music was defined by like animal collective. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And you, you're, you lived in Baltimore, right? Dustin, did you know, Uh you know those guys at all? Uh, I do now. Yeah. Um, over the years, you know, doing mm-hmm. music and, um, you know, from intermittently they would pass by, uh, Baltimore and because they would be trapped, they were traveling and touring all over the, the world, you know, all the sure. time. And, um, but, uh, through Dan Deacon and Jeremy, who the the drummer for Ponytail, mm-hmm. uh, he got, he became friends with, uh, A.B. Tear. Yeah. And started to do projects with him, like um, Slasher Flicks. Right. Oh, his... yeah. Slasher Flicks. I was just thinking yeah. about recently that song Little Fang off of uh, Slasher Flicks is still like one of my favorite songs. It just oh, it goes yeah. so hard. It's ridiculously good. I mean, all their solo work and like side projects are pretty tight. 
Like yeah. those, I think so. Yeah. Person pitch, like that panda bear. The oh, first that's panda I bear love that bear. album. That yeah. kind of defined like. So I remember just being in like college and going to like dorm parties with my friends, and they were like, "Let's smoke the bong and listen to Person." That pitch. was that that was <laughs> the coolest thing you could possibly For put sure. on at a dorm room. It definitely party. was. That definitely was, was. That was me, except like smoking a joint alone in the shower, hoping, <laughs> hoping, hoping no that's one. What, like, that's what you call a dorm room party. Me. Yeah, I'm like, oh man, if the RA comes in, I'm fucked. Uh, but Person pitch is yeah. going off. Speaking of Dan Deacon, Dustin, you just didn't you do some stuff on his new album that just came out? Yes, uh, uh, for one song we <laughs> we co-wrote it kinda together. We mm-hmm. about two years ago we played a show in Mountain View for this um, for Google, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and we were on their. I guess it's they have multiple spaces, but. It was like an outdoor event and huge campus and and all we got was this really tiny stage, you know, mm-hmm. like a, like maybe maybe ten foot by ten foot stage. Wow. And shitty PA and uh, and then you know we're playing right in front of a, a driverless truck. <laughs> when i was in san francisco yeah. i saw a bunch of stuff like that like the driver yeah, yeah. vehicles it oh, was crazy God. that's crazy yeah very uh dystopic very Absolutely. like not new york either like yeah. i never see any shit like that but i guess driving here is a little chaotic but la right. too you know but yeah i know that's the it's the future i guess but uh <laughs> But, no, in, yeah, New, in New York, every car has an evil personality that's trying to kill you. It's called the driver. It's, yeah, <laughs> right. But it, it's right, embodied right. in the car, whereas a driverless car is uh, has no personality it's, and will kill you without remorse. You just well, got to upload you know, a personality. We, we, we can talk. I mean, we can talk about that. I mean, uh, it's, it is it is an augmented thing. There's There's always an intention behind something that seems anonymous and neutral. Right. You know? That's right. Sure. Um, there is some there is somebody even if it's a bot somebody made that bot right for sure i mean um, there's people that like are working purely on like the ethics associated with ai and programming like ethical yeah, codes it, and stuff into it it's wild it, it's just bells and whistles just the just more steps you know mm-hmm. that that is true you know any any machine that is depending on human written code like you know as you write the code, you have to anticipate infinite situations that you might be in, but a, a, you know a human can only anticipate so much. So, like, yeah. that's where the faults tend to occur. Not, not if we give it free will. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Be just like a god. Situation. Yes, it's very simple. We just give the computers uh, free will. <laughs> that would be as Tolkien said. All yes. you have to do is turn on the free will. Yeah. Right. Tolkien, Tolkien is really into it, cybernetics. In the Hobbit, the the prequel. Yeah. <laughs> cybernetics version of the Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But, but uh, back to the Dan Deacon thing, though. I did not. Uh, the I feel like that release kind of came out of nowhere really i i like didn't uh, really expect dan deacon to be releasing he, something new in 2020 he's, he's been working on some stuff for a few years i think and uh I, I guess it's been a few years since his last record uh but he's worked on soundtracks and stuff since then mm-hmm. yeah and uh and i'm sure that's and he's matured and he's sure. uh kind of expanded his, his expression and I mean, around the same time that I was like getting super into Ponytail, like that Spider-Man of the Rings record, that was my oh, fucking jam. Yeah. That and, you know, I, I have like the Bromst LP, that record's great too. So good, yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm a huge fan. I remember seeing him, I lived in like Pensacola for a while in Florida. Okay. And I saw him at in like the side room of this uh, vegan restaurant slash venue that's no longer there, but it was called Sluggos. And it was, Oh uh, my God. Yeah. You know Sluggos? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I think they have one in Chattanooga now, but the Pensacola okay. one is closed. But uh, the two years I lived in Pensacola, that was like the spot for me to go to shows and try to meet okay. people as like an 18 year old that didn't know anybody in that town. But um, like had a had a very like kind of decrepit cabin. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And That's I a great uh, aesthetic. I saw him, and he was. It was around when that Ultimate Reality DVD came out. 
So they were mm-hmm. playing over a projector, but there was two drum sets and it was like right. drum heavy. And I forget yeah. who opened. There was like a sick opener, but I cannot remember. Or no, he opened for Future Islands, like around when the Wave Like Home, the first album was out. And I was mm-hmm. super into that. So so Jeremy was a part of that project, the drummer for Ponyta. So, oh, awesome. The Ultimate Reality? Yeah, he, yeah, he was one of the drummers of the, of the, the two. And I remember seeing that show at the uh, in New York City at the financial district mm-hmm. near the world, you know, and um, it was like one of those like uh, old, like late night minimalist shows where it would go on to like sunrise. And uh, I, I don't know if you remember So Percussion. There were a percussion group that would do Reich, Steve Reich pieces. and uh, I don't remember them specifically, but Steve Reich is awesome. So okay. it sounds very cool. <clears throat> But uh, Ordino composers like John Hassel. John Hassel. Sounds familiar. He's known for this term, Fourth World. And uh, there's a beautiful concert of him playing there in that same place uh, in the 80s. It's it's great. You should check it out. Do you know the name of the space? It's the Financial Center. Financial Center. Okay, very cool. I'm going to have to check it out. I used to go to the Stone a lot before it closed, John Zorn's place in the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they've since moved. I think they do their Productions their performances the at the now. New School. Yeah. yeah, but I saw like Nels Klein and um, Elliot Sharp, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they did uh, acoustic guitar duets, but it was during a residency, so I couldn't afford all the shows. I had just picked one, and I was I like, "It's a two, though." Didn't we go to? Well, this was, was a different one this or? one was right when I moved to New York. We gotcha. went to a different we one a couple of years Nels later. Klein residency. Yeah, I mean, I love Nels Klein. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> He's amazing. Oh, uh, let me go back to that Dan Deacon story, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah for sure. We love to uh, take very long tangents on this podcast. <laughs> too many tangents. Um, so after the Google event, we were all like, "Well, oh, that was weird," and all that, and uh, we talked to a lot of the Google employees too. Uh-huh. And we're it's like, don't you think this is weird? They're like, no, it's not. This is totally, completely normal. <laughs> and and uh, Dan Deacon um, was staying at this motel right outside Silicon Valley called the Vagabond Inn. And I was and I was staying at the motel right next to it. And um, at like three in the morning, we decided to jam out. He whipped out his laptop and all the recording gear and I laid out all my gear and we did like 15 takes of this nine minute piece so we were there for a little while and uh, and then that turned into that that song yeah for that new album bumblebee crown king So it was recorded in in the hotel. Is is the recording that was released? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. So I mean, cool. it, it's it's edited, you know. Right. But uh, and then uh, a year, no, maybe like eight months after that, Dandy can invited me to play that song at the Meyerhoff Symphony Hall, which is Baltimore's kind of um, orchestral concert hall, you know, where they have the Baltimore Symphony play. And uh, we we played with the Baltimore Symphony, hmm. and it was probably the most intense stage fright I've ever experienced in my life, ever. Uh, understandably, yeah. At like the way classical you know orchestras work, like when they rehearse, they don't they only go through the piece once, and they when they do, there's no like rock band thing where you want to do that again, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and uh yeah I, and at the, the 
there was only two rehearsals, one, two, two, the one was like two nights before the actual performance. And then the second one was on the day of the performance. And, you know, I was deer in headlights. I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and um, when uh, it came to the second rehearsal, I was practicing like crazy. And I, sh I should have had, had it down like perfectly, you know, just through memory. But when I would do, when I would come up, the orchestra would come down. When I would come down, the orchestra would come up. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and I would, I asked Dan, I was like, I'm, I'm not in sync with the orchestra. You, you gave me this uh, version on, uh, through the email, like the seven minute version. He was like, seven minutes? <laughs> We're working on the nine-minute version, so he gave me the, he gave me the wrong version. Oh, no. oh my <laughs> so, god! Like thirty minutes before the performance, you know, we're like in the on backstage. He's giving me all the notes. I have to rewrite everything. And oh my god! I, and uh, that's definitely nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah, but we did it. You know, and we played the piece, and it worked. And you know the. The cathartic, the cathartic uh, feeling you get from something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I get it now. I got it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, right. I, yeah. And I find like some of the most creative stuff comes out of like being like crunched with time. Like, you know, when yeah. you're like racing against the clock and you really right. have to like put something out, you really like step up, you know, it's like adrenaline right, or something. Right, right. I mean, you don't want to give adversary that much credit, but it <laughs> it does push you. It makes you make decisions very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. It becomes athletic in that. Yes. In that totally. But I mean, so now uh, a lot of your live performances are like generally like improvisational. Um, yeah. Do you find that just like more freeing than r r like playing written material? <laughs> I mean, it, it improvisation is that type of challenge. You know, it's mm -hmm. you. You are put on a spot, and uh, you have to make decisions quickly, depending on what type of improv improvisations you're doing. Uh, with my type, yes, you have. It's very. You're running through a labyrinth, and you're cutting corners, and you might run into a, a wall and. What are you going to do with that wall? Are you going to blow it up or are you going to, you know, right. go back, run, go reverse, you know? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I just, uh, the way that this guest spot happened, I, I was in San Francisco and I went to two of the three Mountain Goat shows and right, you right. opened all three of them. And, you know, I went to two of the three nights and, both nights you fucking killed it man like oh, it's you. like and you know the room like mountain goats and you know your style of music are different but everyone was super receptive and seemed to love it like even the um the first night i was there the person next to me in line was like yo the opener it's like really droney it's really good and i was like yeah i'm a fan already but i'm hyped and uh it seemed like everyone was super super into it how did that um thank you so much oh absolutely man like you know it's it was earned for sure but how did the uh you doing opening for all three nights of that come about uh i opened for the mountain goats about eight years ago like 2012 and that was the west coast tour and um i've never met the man before right um and I used to listen to his stuff in college, uh, but I wasn't like a, a crazy fan or something. It was a very casual thing. Sure. And um, when Matt Papich and I started to do the Ecstatic Sunshine Band, the, uh, we put out a record and, you know, at the time there were, there were all, all these different websites online and... Uh, we would get these reviews. But the, the one review that really stood out was actually written by John Darnielle, the Mountain Goats. He wrote this really beautiful, almost essay-like review of our record. Right. And I remember being really touched by it, but 
it was like years after that that I would meet him. And uh, that was like on the West Coast tour. I, I mean, yeah, he's like a reason that people like really walk into his music is his like writing ability, like, you know, the stories and like the series of songs and just, you know, he, he's a Twitter personality. He has like, I don't know, like 175,000 Twitter followers. He retweeted a tweet of mine once. Oh, really? He's very funny, you know? Um, and he's very funny. He's actually like, when I started making memes, which is, you know, what I do on social media, like I started, I, I did a lot of practicing being in like a private mountain goats meme group. And I made like tons and tons of mountain goats memes and that's kind of how i like got better oh, at doing wow. it but uh you yeah. cut your teeth dude. Your <laughs> literally and i'm sure john would like hate that but <laughs> john i've made so many memes about you well it's funny like the uh the meme group um like two or three years ago he did a charity auction for his friend who had cancer um to play a house show which, you know, the Mountain Goats never do. And the group I was in raised like $12,000 and we got Holy second shit. place. Incredible. But he decided to do a show for us and the winner because it was oh, so wow. much raised. You yeah, know? Right. So I went out, it was in New Jersey and I went and stayed with my friends in Philly and then just like took a car to Cherry Hill. And it was... It was in Cherry Hill? Yeah, and it was Dang. awesome. Super intimate. Um, you know, there was like 30 people in the room who were all like, super fans obviously they're like in this this like niche facebook group right dedicated to making mm. like jokes and talking about his music and the fandom and like you know it was very very cool to be included and the guy who maxed out a credit card and put most of the money on his credit card to like win the auction uh he lives in san francisco and he was at all three shows i saw him he oh, was there he was oh, in the front, incredible yeah he was in the front row uh he definitely gave you a standing <coughs> ovation so shout out to oh. tim wherever you are did you, you talk to him there or i didn't because we met we were friends on the group but i don't really use facebook anymore oh, so yeah. i'm never really on that group mm -hmm. and we met at that house show and it had just been so long and he was with like a group of people that were they were there every night. They were the first people in line. They, they were there like yeah. way before me. That's, yeah. that's very like concert psychology. Exactly. Right? And yeah. I was intimidated. And you know, like um, Mountain Goat shows, the fans are like, like that's the vibe. Like get there hours early to get a good spot. Like I typically but go early. Mountain Goats fans are very, um, you know, they're super nice. Yeah. I, every group fans have a very has a different color to him and mm -hmm. and uh, i love i love mountain goats fans i think they're great i find as i go to shows that his fans are very young like he still pulls like mm. teen fans like the sure. san francisco shows not so much but when i saw him in brooklyn not that long ago i feel like i saw a lot of uh sharpie x uh pans <laughs> it's a good way to <laughs> right but um, yeah, I think that might have something to do with it, like the innocence and purity. And, you know, he writes a lot about like overcoming some type of like, you know, like problems with humanity and shit like that. So I feel mm -hmm. like there's a lot of things to attach yourself to when you're like a positive, young, like uncorrupted person. Well, and <laughs> I've also seen so many accounts of people posting not even that they're they like the mountain goats not even that they're their favorite band but like literally completely in in complete seriousness saying like this band like literally saved my life people do say that yeah, yeah. and so like there's something there that's connecting with young people especially people who are like going through whatever they might be going through because i i don't know his discography very well but i do know he talks about a lot of like really heavy shit sure i mean he's yeah. had he's had a, like a long like difficult life you mm -hmm. know like a lot of musicians or artists but uh you know he i mean he just rules and he he's a great writer two novels right um smart guy definitely like i feel like if you're impatient like if you're like kind of a 
like a new fan or you're not like that familiar, you've never seen him live, it's like prepare. There's going to be like equal parts storytelling and and like song explanation and banter mm-hmm. uh, as music. And but everything that guy says is fucking interesting. He's mm-hmm. just like a very smart dude. Yeah. I think even for a non-fan, you can't help but be moved by the situation. Like, yeah, he like like you 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 come into the space and you see all these people and and this one person with a guitar connecting, and that's so beautiful. Yeah, you don't really see it at that level. Well, even like else. he had like a different theme for every night, and the second night was like loose ends, like songs that didn't really belong with other songs or that were rarely rarely performed. Mm-hmm. And it's like everybody knew every word, and he oh, even said it. He was like, yeah. "I, I like will go to my grave happy knowing I played this set and that it yes. went over this well." Songs that he probably hasn't played in years. Well, that was same at the house show. He played a song um, that he had only played like once on a radio show it was never formally released oh wow and like you know had performed like a couple times like three or something like over the years and he played it at the house show and everybody was screaming the words and at the end he was like this is really bad for my ego like my therapist (laughs) is gonna like freak out because it's like i play a song that has never been released and was only played like twice and everybody in here screaming the words but of course right. he didn't know i think it was kind of secret that it was like a mountain goats meme group that bit on it <laughs> like i don't think they wanted him to know so <laughs> they didn't want to scare him away well, he knew we were fans because who's going to spend that much money sure. but he didn't know it was like a tight-knit yes. group of people that are constantly like these, quoting his lyrics these are the people who will know that song by heart these are like, the people that will max out credit cards exactly yeah. to help your friend is- you know wild i wonder how much he put on the credit card i think he raised most of it probably like nine nine grand or something like that but you know he's a a super fan like you know and if you you know and it was for a good cause it totally is so it's like you know if you're if you really care about an artist and you're like obsessed with them and they're reaching out asking for help for their friend Mm -hmm. like you know probably like a once in a lifetime thing as well yeah for sure Dustin, I have a question for you. Back to the Mountain Goat show specifically, but how do you actually approach improvisation? Because I know a lot of people do like have very specific things. Some people will have like some sort of like bass riff or like bass pattern that they're going to like mutate and like try to Mm -hmm. like, uh, but other people like approach it a totally different way. I wonder exactly like what's, what's your approach? Um, It's kind of, I always say that it's kind of in the scope of, world building like mm-hmm. uh where you know it's almost like dungeons and dragons role playing but also or tolkien perhaps who, <laughs> tolkien yeah 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 <laughs> or people you know who make video games or like comic books creating a world but but through music um and kind of the initial ideas come pretty early when my you know when i was really young my my second cousin or something who was a college kid was probably having like a good old like stony night. And he was explaining to me, he had two records on Jimi Hendrix and Miles Davis and, you know, the fader was in the, in the center. So they were playing at the same time and, uh, and it worked, everything clicked, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Miles Davis jamming together mm-hmm. on two, in two, in two different time periods you know but sinking at a present time at the time and uh that that's kind of like the inspiration that has been kind of fueling me since uh that kind of idea of anything and everything that can combine into a new kind of world and uh so what i use is our loop pedals you know mm-hmm. and uh by by looping different melodies or different ideas in four different loop pedals, they are not in sync. But by creating forgiving loops, I, that's what I call them, like forgiving loops that can work with other forgiving loops, if you know what I mean. Right. Got you, yeah. Yeah, but since the, the orbit or the cycle lengths are different, every time it orbits each loop, 
it's a different type of groove. Yeah, the, the phase realigns periodically. Uh-huh. And I suppose you just like kind of feel the room out, you know, whatever mood strikes you when you when you start and set your your bass loop out. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm all constantly thinking about the first thing, you know, all day long. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, what am I going to do? What is the first thing I'm going to do? That I feel like that's the most important thing. And then everything else would kind of fall in place. And Sure, you need that foundation, you know. Yeah, we're just the initial thought. Um, and uh, that kind of starts to correlate into other things. Sure. So I also, like, um, am becoming more and more familiar with, but only, like, you know, in the past, like, year or two started listening to your collaborations with Takako. Mm-hmm. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about like how that came about? Uh, we met um, at a show. What well, She came to my show in Tokyo. And uh, that was when I was doing only guitar loops mm-hmm. and just using one guitar looper. And, uh, and we, I was a big fan of hers for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was really flattered that she was there, and she hasn't she hasn't put out a record in thirteen years, right? So I wanted to be I wanted to help her out in that way, and uh, and then yeah, we started collaborating, and um, when when we started working together, I, I wanted I wanted to think about what was the best way and easiest way to make music together. So, knowing her palette of the past, I thought I Google. I I punched in words into the Google search engine. It was like pretty much typing in all of the things that I wanted from a keyboard. Right. So I was like, I I want a keyboard to be a sampler, and also you can play it in chromatics and uh, and then when I typed it out all in the the micro Korg's micro sampler came out. From the uh. So that's how I found that instrument. And we started utilizing that and came up with a system of pedals, you know, where we, we both can loop in to one pedal and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just setting up a playground where we can make things, you know, Sure. No, and I mean, it sounds very playful, like, in the recordings. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, I think that idea is becoming more and more familiar now that we have augmented reality and virtual reality. Sure. uh, um, Where people can create their own games, even with their, the the new dreams game on PlayStation 4. Uh, that thing I really want to give that thing a shot. I haven't. It's is it yeah. still in like early testing or something? I, I don't know. It's coming out, it. or if it isn't already out. I don't have a console. I just I just like looking those things up. But, um, I'm like the the non gamer of the group. Yeah, Jeff <laughs> Jeff isn't the non gamer, but me and Jacob are uh, are gamers. So there's a bit mm. of tension on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't play games, but I I love games. yeah whenever there's like gamer talk or i come over to set up for the pod and they're playing games i just start smoking weed and then get really (laughs) in my own fucking i'm building my own world yeah sure it's a a improvisational weed smoking yes right (laughs) right right right. but yeah man i mean like like i said everything you've been putting out has been awesome do you have any like anything in the works that's like coming well yeah i I actually have a a show uh on dub lab Mm -hmm. where i bring in a guest and we do improvised sessions Mm. and i I do that every month and next week i just put together all the sessions for the past half year and uh, i'm gonna do a show of that so I just kind of edited and mixed it recently. Hell yeah, dude. And that's like a, a radio 
channel out of LA, right? And it's international. Yeah. Double app. Yeah. 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 Should be. Yeah. We'll uh, post the link in the in the podcast episode. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, man. But like I said, it's been like amazing having you come on. Like you were so receptive and like friendly. I found that when I was in California, is everyone was so friendly in San Francisco. <laughs> It was really like, I think I maybe, like I was there for six days and I think I maybe had one interaction with somebody where I'm like, that person is not friendly. We were both in California, like back to back. At the same time, you you were in LA. I was in Los Angeles the week before Jeff went to um, San Francisco. And right on, right after the Mountain Goat show, I looked up and I was like, I saw on your on your Instagram that you were playing like with Jessica Pratt. And I was like, Oh shit, I'm going to go to that. And then I was like, Oh fuck, it's in LA. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. That was the Bernie benefit. Yeah. 30 minute flight, buddy. That show looked awesome. Yeah. I'm not going to fly there (laughs) when I'm already on vacation in San Francisco, but yeah, no, I mean that show looked awesome. I was like, as soon I was like, I searched in Google Maps like the location of the venue because I figured it'd be in San Fran. I'm like, I wonder how far it is from where I am now. And I was like, Oh shit, it's like, in LA. You're, like, you're, you're searching for an Uber <laughs> to the venue. Dude, unreal. <laughs> it's like as soon as you hit like LA traffic, it's like the price increases oh like twenty five percent. It's also it's very 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 hard. And like LA, it's just to like gets a point A to point B. I don't know. It's it's messed up. It's like it everything takes an hour and a half. And you yeah. used to live in New York, right, Dustin? Just for one year, yeah. Just for one year. I was going to say, like, what are the differences that you like and do not like between, like, the East and the West Coast? Ooh, well, well, the East Coast has honesty, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's very um, true. <laughs> and I think the kindness you're talking about in California, it, you, know, you know, success births a lot of surface type of kindness. Not to be pessimistic or anything. No, totally. But, uh... But I feel like success is very valued now. So people act successful, which brings in a certain type of kindness. Sure. I and, mean, uh, L.A. definitely, I, I've heard some things about that type of behavior being prominent. For sure. But then you, but then you see, you meet people that it's not about that bullshit. Right. And, uh, and it's great, you know. And sometimes, you know, in the East Coast, it's like, come on, man, that's being a little too honest. <laughs> yeah, it's True. pretty blunt. Right. Yeah. There's a spectrum of uh, of honesty. Yeah. That's why you got to hit like that perfect East Coast South place where it's like, you know, the Southern oh, hospitality yeah. meets the pushy Northeast. Yeah. What, what city would that be? Atlanta or? Dude, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm from the South. Baltimore. But- Baltimore, Baltimore, yeah, actually, yeah. you're right. I've only been to Baltimore once, but it was awesome. I was in um, Hampton. I've never been, but I have seen The Wire, so I feel like I, I know a little <laughs> bit about Baltimore. You know about Baltimore like 20 years ago. I know just enough about Baltimore 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, and that's totally the Baltimore that you would be like immersed in, right? <laughs> of course, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, Baltimore, like I said, like back when I saw that Dan Deacon show, like with the ultimate reality thing and uh, Future Islands, I was super into like the whole Wham City Collective and all that shit. Mm. That stuff was really cool to me. It was so fun. So fun. Yeah, that's that's what I like how I viewed it. It just seemed like a bunch of like art kids running around like like mm-hmm. having a blast, you know, very like free. Well, you know, I I haven't been back in Baltimore in a little while, so but you know, I I talked to a lot of the musicians and artists there and I guess it's not the similar energy that it used to be, but um mm-hmm. it it was like kind of an eruption when Dan Deacon moved to Baltimore. He was so ambitious. He brought artists together, even artists that didn't like each other, you know? Right. And he really made it a party. And God, it was so fun. Yeah, I mean, that's, like I said, like when Spider-Man of the Rings came out, I was just like so into him and like everyone that he promoted and like collaborated with, like, that shit was just like blowing my mind, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like same, like I said, same mixes as I would have like ponytail on have like, like uh crystal cat or something else on it, yeah, you yeah. know, um, so good. 
that or like I think it was on the album before like the splish splash when he like manipulates it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that that era is just so like nostalgic for me. But it's like most people that are into indie music like are you know between their twenties and thirties like that that time period stands out. Like I said, Animal Collective was like defining. Mm. So it's like anything that had any like, like it sucks because like I read it, but I hated it. But like any, any type of pitchfork credibility at the time, like Mm, mm, mm. it could just reach so far, you know, just one review. Yeah. But I feel like current contemporary reviews are only valid at the time and they become irrelevant sure after 10 20 years mm-hmm. absolutely you know uh, but at the time they hold they they really ripple the pond you know mm-hmm. i mean and, they that's uh, how they like you know 2007 if pitchfork gave you a good review you, you could sell out of your tape or your oh, record for sure. like yeah, instantly yeah. you know that's what we were talking about last uh episode we were just talking about the phenomenon of uh blog rock and how there were so many bands that their careers lived and died by their prominence in like the fucking music review community mm. and or like you know, last of them. Yeah. You know. And, um, they might've had one or two huge releases that got a lot of press and a lot of buzz, but, um, they weren't able to sustain that for more than a couple of years. Right. Right. And there were all those like micro subgenres that kind of came and went like right. within a year, mm-hmm. like, you know, chill wave only lasted so long. <laughs> but it's like right. you know it's chill wave's coming back oh you think chill so? wave 2 is coming i out. guarantee it chill wave 2 yeah and i'm excited for it dude yeah it's yeah. gonna be there's gonna be <laughs> like a, a a summer festival at like reese beach or something and it's gonna be like yes neon indian yeah um Tori Tori um what are the other uh the other bands on washed out i'm thinking washed, about washed yeah, out washed is a big out. one yeah they just play yeah. that one song over and over again well i was Love gonna say song. the ones on cap- <laughs> capture tracks like yes. there was um fuck i'm spacing damn um but we'll I, do a chill wave <laughs> episode uh in the future, in the future. we'll be we'll only talking about it. chill wave we'll bands. It. well it's funny because um my my buddy so control control my instagram handle comes from this guy's local band from south florida when i was growing up uh, in high school who I loved and I thought the name was cool. So I used it on the internet in a bunch of places, but he started making chill wave music under the name, uh, million young. I don't know if you know him, Mike Diaz. Mm-hmm. So he started doing that and he had like a tape and pitchfork gave him like a, uh, like a best new track or something, whatever they were calling it back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he had so much hype and I was, trying to start a record label in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the first release to be a seven inch single. That was going to be him doing a split with Emily Rio, who I had met oh, in Orlando okay. and I know you're friends with her. So yeah, I, well, we've met a few times. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. I'm, I'm trying to get her on the pod soon, but um, mm-hmm. I was trying to start the label and release her things. Cause she had tapes that, were sold at the local record store and she kind of did like like back then it was kind of like a grouper kind of like droney like acoustic like kind of mm-hmm. like a beach house mm-hmm. vibe with that like bedroom poppy drum machine bedroom pop exactly yeah. but she was a little more like dark like grouper now she her music's much poppier yeah but um i was like this will be the perfect split and I'll sell it out because Mike with Million Young has like some pitchfork vo- uh, like hype. Like it'll sell out quick and then I can use that money to release my other friends, Totally Nebular's LP. Mm-hmm. And then Mike flaked at the last minute and I was like, okay, fuck this. I'm just going to take this money and buy like a bicycle and a vaporizer. <laughs> nice, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of my biggest regrets in life, man. I've always wanted to have a record label. Wow. You 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 went for the vape. 
I went for the volcano. Yeah, yeah you went for the fucking vape. Dude. The volcanoes are kind of crazy. I still have it. I never <laughs> use it. You know, <laughs> you just look. It's like sitting on your desk. You're like, but I guess oh. it's easier to transport than a box full of unsold records. Justin, I yeah, promise this is actually a music podcast and not. Um, <laughs> Jeff's weed podcast. It only kind okay. of seems it's, like it, it creeps in and out. It's uh, barely high right now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, so Emily was like, oh, like it would be cool if you could release this like old cassette I have. And I was just like, yeah, like I spent the money. But then, you know, she went on to sign with uh, Orca Tapes and now she's on Car Park and mm-hmm. obviously making fucking sick music also. But yeah, she she's super nice. That's like probably the coolest like person that came out of Orlando music, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm not from yeah. there. <laughs> there. There's a few. I for some reason I have a few Orlando connection. I have like a good friend who lives in Chicago that's from Orlando, and also this guy Noah Klein that lives here. And um, right, Cuddle Formation and, on uh, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And who's who's uh, has a connection with Emily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's actually how i met scene. noah also is through emily mm-hmm. a, a fantastic guy um yeah incredibly he, like, positive person he re-released your first album right on a tape uh, yes yes exactly wow yeah yeah man owen's awesome i mean uh noah's awesome uh i remember when i first moved to new york he was like working and organizing silent barn stuff so like oh, every yeah. time i went to silent barn like shea stadium there. too right was he i, I think he was involved with shea stadium as well it's possible i miss shea that Damn. fucking venue Rest was so peace. sick yeah played there a few times too dude i love that place my first apartment in new york was not far from there and it was just you know that was classic very very chill i saw a lot of cool shows there yeah, that band um i don't know if you guys remember titus andronicus oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah mm-hmm. That was their spot. Yeah, they they did their release shows there. It was like two nights for the yeah. what's the album? Local business. Mm. I think with the yes, red cover. Yes, local business with the red cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, I think after Shay was gone, the last like multiple night shows they did here was at Market Hotel, which mm-hmm. is like you know a convenient place, but not my favorite venue. Very for, hot. Yeah, I just it hate, does get warm in there. I hate the shape of the room because behind the stage it's like a point with windows, and I feel like any band that plays with multiple amps just like echoing in a bad way Mm -hmm. a lot of feedback yeah not great but it is a convenient like location Mm -hmm. and their booking is pretty good i'd say they they book pretty good shows i've been to a lot of good shows Mm -hmm. there but you know all the venues i really fucking liked here are gone yeah (laughs) let's plan a a next uh future episode we'll talk Talk about about all the dead venues. venues yeah because there were a fucking ton, even like five years ago, that I think that's yes. no longer exists. It's just kind of how the music scene ends up going, I it's guess. Any Especially DIY, it's, well. it's stop and go. Vice yeah. pushed out all the Williamsburg ones. Yeah, right. True. Y'all, y'all got to remember the ghost ship, too, from Oakland. Oh, yeah. That, that oh, was yes. a big, big thing. That and that made like national news. DIY. Yeah. And it also like it made national news in a way that like kind of villainized the whole idea of diy spaces exactly yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i miss death by audio like i went to the last week they had um they had like surprise secret shows or whatever and Mm -hmm. my buddy was working the door uh he used to work at capture tracks and uh he was like you want to be on the list tonight it's uh future islands and i was like uh sure of course and that was like right after i guess like seasons came out so Mm -hmm. they were huge oh yeah wow and they played like like a bunch of like old ass songs it was really like a throwback kind of show for them Mm because i guess they played death by audio a lot during their Mm -hmm. career Mm -hmm. and um i remember during the opening act the singer of la savi fav came out and like did a cover of LCD sound system, New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down and Mm. like ripped his shirt off in the middle of it, like ripped it open and on his chest was ridden with paint. It said, fuck vice. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, it's it's also so interesting though, just to have like vice this like, like media entity that's all about being like hip and cool, like robbing the culture 
that they live in. Oh. You know what I mean? It's it, it's it's just an, it's, it's a very parasitic. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, interesting. They, they're yeah. started by a Nazi. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> you know what true, I mean? True. Also that, yeah. And I don't know. Also, did y'all read that fucking article that like, or it was an article or whatever that detailed like the early years of Vice? We could go there's, into there's we could like go a, into this yeah, for there's a lot of stuff. It's like a, a book. Stuff. There's a book or something but, about the early years. Yeah, and like, long story short. And listen, it's not just Vice that does this. It's every fucking company sure. that like is in the same sentence as them. But like, it's all smoke and mirrors to to get investment money. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, it's all just like a fucking. It's game. like even Pitchfork's owned by Condé Nast. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's know? all it's all weird. It, it's it's we could um, we could talk about this forever, but anyway. But yeah. I mean, I'm super I against mean, it until anyone wants to buy our podcast. Right. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if Vice would like to uh, pay us to do the podcast, it, I will absolutely change my opinion. Yeah. We love Gavin. But until then, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are you about to say, Dustin? Oh, just the things that funds the arts, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like I remember watching this one OPN, one Eotrix video. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the music video is all these kids playing war games with oh yeah it's it's, uh not sticky you know it is no it's not sticky drama it's uh all bite through it right i think so yeah and uh it was funded by you know the weapons industry pretty much that's insane is it that one that has that like vhs like super like sharpened effect yes yes yes. there's a kind of like a heightened kind of thing going on in Dang, the video. that's literally one of my favorite videos that's very <laughs> sad to hear wow yeah that's dark yeah the price of art <laughs> and you know texas funds the arts through oil for sure yeah right yeah i mean i'm, I'm the biggest fan of how canada does it because you know the government gives them money to like Work on yep. things like Broken Social Scene oh God. and like Godspeedy Black Emperor. It's every like, f- every other film I watched because I went to film school. Every other film we watched was a Canadian Film Board funded movie. I mean, Canada mm-hmm. makes of Canada. great art. Boards, yeah, of, boards Canada. of Canada. That <laughs> yeah. was the name of the film class. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah. a- audio. Right, right you right. work the boards. Boards of Canada. That's what they that named the band sick. off of. That would be a sick name, yeah. like book name of a book for like audio recording done in Canada. Yes, like musicians. Right, boards right, right. Of Canada. No, but the Canada, some of the stuff that comes out of there is like miles beyond anything you could even think of making in the in the U.S. Just simply because they have so much more access mm. to media uh, or, or, or to funding, and also it's well, I, I've been watching. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Nirvana the band. Nirvana. The it's band? like a, it started as a web series, but then they Viceland picked them up. Going back to Vice, of course, but they're Canadian. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm pretty sure Canada has much less restrictive like uh, fair use laws mm-hmm. where you can get away with um, using copyrighted material if it's like if you can uh, justify using it in like a parody or. Well, sure. I mean, we have that too here yeah. with parody yeah. laws, you know. Um, but basically a lot of their sh- a lot of their episodes, they have they, they really want like 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 for instance like oh we really want to use like this uh, clip from Jurassic Park or like this music from this movie mm-hmm. and their legal team will literally say okay you can use it if you justify it one of the characters being a diehard Jurassic Park fan so they rewrite their episode around the parameters that require the that are required for them to use the at least material. they have something to work with where they don't right? have to pay for everything. Well, that's the thing. And then they can get away with doing all this crazy reference. Like they, they pull in all sorts of like archival footage or like material and they can use it if they justify it. Mm. But like, I just feel like, I mean, I don't I wish, know. I don't I even think you'd be using, able to do that in the U S like I wish using things. If it did have to be paid for, gave all the money directly to the artist, but oh, yeah. typically, no, you know, the label or like, someone owns the music and the artist is seeing very little of it. Right. And it's the label that'll see you into the grounds where you can't actually even justify parody law because you can't afford to go to court for it. No, you can't even even entertain whether whether you're in the right or not because you can't even afford to hire a lawyer. And back to that, the the one entrance point never video thing and the idea of kind of like, I think this is also very much like a uniquely American thing, kind of like a very like, well, I mean, I probably ever in a lot of other places, but it's like this neoliberal ideology that like you have a corporation that is or like some sort of corporate entity that's willing to like back the arts and they become like a good company. 
Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's pure PR. For sure. It's pure PR because... That, that Google show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. True, true. But yeah, man. Anyway. I think... Uh, we're probably going to wrap up. Yeah. But Dustin, okay. thank you so much for coming on. This has yeah, actually yeah. Thank been you fucking for having awesome. me. Yeah, totally. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, same, same. I had a great time. I'm really glad. Sweet. Sweet. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? Um, Let's see. Well, I'm good right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll post the link to your, uh, your radio show. Uh, Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, mentioned earlier so yeah man awesome thank you so much again this has been fucking yeah yeah very tight thank you man later man see you dustin take it easy bye